0: So if you come back tonight, we're going to take time to do something that means a lot to me. Remember, I was supposed to be an educator. I wasn't supposed to be a knuckle-headed pastor. I was supposed to be an educator. The old saying, those who can do and those who can't teach has never been more false than it is these days. Tonight, we're going to take time to use our handy-dandy prayer walk guide that has all of the campuses of Midland ISD, and we're going to pray over all of them. Friends, I want to tell you, we have a mission field right outside these doors. It is on campuses of Midland ISD. And we've done this several years now, for those of you who might be saying, huh, this is uh, about the bond issue, doesn't have a thing to do with that. It does have everything to do with 26,000 plus students that will flood to our campuses this week. It has everything to do with the educators who will meet them there, who are already working to get them ready. It has everything to do with the bus drivers who will take them there, the support staff that will serve them there, and the administrators who will work to make it a safe place. Friends, this is a very, very important week. For a lot of us, it's the unofficial beginning of the year, isn't it? Oh, we flipped the calendars in January, but the calendar really revolves around school, doesn't it? Friends, I want us to take time this morning to pray for this new school year. Let's start with our educators. If you are an educator, would you please stand right where you are? I was about to say, don't make me call you out. We are grateful indeed. Please remain standing, educators. Let me pray over you. We are grateful for you for the tireless work that you do, for sometimes the thankless work that you do, for the vision that you have for what can be, not just what you see before you. We are grateful for the vision that you have to be patient with them, for God is not yet done, for the capacity that God has given you to keep working even when you are tired. Educators, we thank you. Let's take a moment and pray over them. God, we thank you for these that are standing and those who aren't. We ask your blessings over these educators. No matter where they serve, no matter what role they have, Lord Jesus, we thank you that they have stepped forward and said it's not about the money, it's about serving our future. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're going to empower them, that you're going to give them vision to see what you see, that you're going to help them, Lord, each and every day of this school year. We commit it to you, Lord Jesus, as best we know how. We thank you in advance, Lord, for how you will use these educators to accomplish your kingdom purposes, whether they're teaching at a university level or they're in our youngest preschoolers. We know, Lord, that you have sent them as missionaries, so we entrust them to your care, Lord, and thank you that we get to walk with them. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. You can be seated. I wonder... If there are any parents in the room who have children who are going to school this week, if that's you, stand with me, won't you? No parents? There we go. we got a few scattered around. If you have a child that's starting a new school and you're already standing, then raise your hand and wave it to me because mine is waving too. Maybe you are a little nervous about your child starting a new school or a new grade level It is a difficult time to be a parent too, isn't it? We send our children away believing that the school will do their best to protect them, and indeed, but let us take a moment now to trust them into God's care too. Pray with me, won't you? God, these are your children, not ours. You've blessed them into our care, and we are eternally grateful for that. But now, Lord, we bless them back into your care. As they go back to their campuses, some for the very first time, We ask your safety to guard them, your wisdom to protect them, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, in advance for how you will engage their curiosity and awaken their hearts and minds. We pray for their teachers, for their administrators, for the support staff. We ask God your mercy over them, and we thank you in advance, Lord, for how you're going to use this year in their lives. Thank you, Father God, for the joy we find in our children, and thank you for placing them in our homes. Help us, Lord Jesus, to partner with our schools, not just, Father, for the purpose of their education, but for their edification, too. For we are not just building automatons, we are building our future. Guide us, Lord, with your mercy. We love you, it's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends, you may be seated. It is a joy to walk with you, my friends, and this week is no exception. And a part of that was yesterday. Man, what a party we had here on this campus yesterday. We celebrated the union of two young lives, Dakota Meeks and Liv Vanderlyn. We rejoice, of oh, Vanderveer, excuse me. Now I know her last name, Meeks, uh, Liv Meeks. We can call her by that name. We rejoice with those families today. It was a beautiful service conducted by our own Wayne Delso, who did a fabulous job in leading that. We remember also today, Dean and Jean Ripito celebrating their 75th anniversary, 75th anniversary. Let me tell you, wow. It is remarkable. I was asked yesterday when I got to that party, how many 75th anniversaries have you been to, Darren? I said, one counting today. Uh, no, that, that, that's not entirely true. I've been to one more, but you gotta get married young and you gotta stay healthy. And Dana Jean, we congratulate you. Uh, We are rejoicing in the opportunity. These flowers today are placed by John Wheeler in honor of his 35th anniversary to his wife, Linda. We rejoice in their faithfulness, too. Give them a round of applause, won't you? John is a faithful servant in our media ministry, and we are grateful for the way God is using him. It is a joy, friends, to walk this road of life with you and to rejoice in God's goodness to us. When we turn our attention to the Bible now, we turn our attention to one of the most familiar characters we find anywhere in Scripture, Moses. Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to start. I want to turn your attention back there, and we're going to go through Moses' life in fast forward. Is that all right with you? You know, one of my favorite features of my little remote control at home uh, is that I can fast forward through commercials. Anybody with me on that? I'll tell you, I don't know who invented that thing, but they deserve a raise. It is a glorious thing to be able to blitz past all the garbage that I don't want to see to get to what I want to see. Well, in Moses' life, we're going to take a fast forward trip and stop at some key points. And the first one is Moses' miraculous entrance. Let's be clear, friends. Moses should have never been here in the first place. The edict was that all Hebrew children, all male Hebrew children, should be destroyed. And yet, here we are in Exodus chapter 1 with Moses being born, and not only born, but preserved. Moses' miraculous entrance is such that God brought him at just the right time. He was born at a difficult time, in a difficult place, and yet he was right on time on God's schedule. He arrives and his mother has no choice if she wishes to preserve his life but to take a terrible and we might say foolish risk with his life. She builds a basket and places him in it and floats it down the Nile River, trusting that God will deliver this child to the right place at the right time. Indeed, God does. As only the Lord could orchestrate it, that basket is guided to the hands of the daughter of Pharaoh who takes the child, and Moses' sister Miriam, not far off, rushes up and says, you'll need a helper, somebody that will guard this child and help you along the way. Can I tell you today, my friends, can you imagine for a moment what the look on Moses' mother's face was when Miriam comes running and say, says, you are now the nursemaid for your own son. Consider with me the look on Moses' father's face when he walks in and finds his wife holding Moses without a care in the world. Friends, this is what God does. Chain Potok is a, an American writer. He said this, all beginnings are hard. I don't disagree with him. Difficult beginnings, they're proverbial, aren't they? It's almost like somebody's trying to talk us out of starting the journey at all, and yet for our friend Moses, he has no choice, just like many of us do, don't either. Hard beginnings, though, can teach us something about God's character, and indeed that is what happens here. Moses didn't stay a baby, you know that part. He grows up to be Charlton Heston, right? We know that part. He grows up in the privileges of Pharaoh's family. Moses learned later in his life that he was of Hebrew descent and indeed desires to take that identity back. It is in a fit of rage that he kills an Egyptian over the abuse of a Hebrew. And once he does so, he tries to hide his crime, but when he realizes that he cannot do so, he leaves. At 40 years old, he flees eastward, from the sands of Egypt into the rocky hills of what we call the Sinai Peninsula. It wasn't that it was an easy trip, but it was one that I call Moses' yield trip, not field trip, yield trip in the desert, and a true burning bush experience. Now, we want to conflate these, and we want to say that it all happened at the same time, but I want you to see Exodus chapter 2 through 4 as one composite whole. In chapter 2, just like in chapter 1 we have 40 years, in chapter 2 we have 40 years. That span of life from the time Moses leaves Egypt and arrives in Mount Sinai is 40 years. A lot of life happened in that time period. He married. He had children. They were growing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It wasn't that he didn't want to go home, it was that he knew he couldn't go home. He had to stay there in the desert. If he returned home, he was a marked man. He had to yield to God. Yield signs. Let's talk about those for a minute, all right? Now, if you're like me and you have to drive Andrews on a regular basis, maybe you sing the song that we sang a moment ago. What was it? I need Jesus every hour. Maybe if you have to drive some of the streets that are under construction, like that section at 191 and 250, I don't know who's in charge of the roads, but God bless them because somebody needs to, you know? I will say this, though. When we come to yield signs, it's different than a stop sign. A stop sign means you got to stop, or at least you're supposed to. A yield sign means you don't have to stop, but you better look. See what's going on around you. Well, I believe the time in the desert was a yield sign for our friend Moses. He slowed down long enough for God to speak to him. It's a story that we know well, starting in Exodus 3. It's where God meets him with a true burning bush experience. Now, let's be clear, friends. The Sinai Desert, where Moses meets God, is an inhospitable place. It makes us look positively tropical, It is a place that one would not expect to meet God. Rarely, however, does God do things our way. Could it be that our way doesn't always match up with his? God speaks on his own schedule and in his own way. Friends, today we rejoice that God spoke that day to Moses, now 80 years old. Moses observes a bush burning. You know that part of the story. The problem with the bush burning is that it's not consumed, it just continues to burn. Moses, in his curiosity, goes over to examine the situation, and God calls to him from it. (coughs) (coughs) Moses, notice he calls him by name, take off your sandals where you are standing, it's holy ground. Not needing to be asked twice, Moses does as he's instructed And then in the early part of chapter 3, God speaks to Moses, and Moses hears several elements to God's message. I want us to walk through these because I believe they are pertinent not just for Moses, but for us as well. For like Moses, maybe we are in a desert time. Like Moses, maybe we feel like we've been yielded and we've been set out Like Moses, maybe we've wondered where God is in the midst of this and we're waiting for him to speak to us. Like Moses, we're wondering, what does God have ahead for me, if anything? I want us to see what God says to Moses there in chapter 3. I've heard the prayers of my people, God says. In other words, I'm listening. God says to Moses, I'm listening. He says it to you. sometimes the prayers we pray are a little bit tepid we pray prayers like God help the sun to rise tomorrow may it go down tonight God let it be hot in August in Midland that's one we don't need to pray maybe what we need to pray instead is what God already knows is true that which is really in our hearts Knowing that God is listening, maybe our prayers need to reflect the desires of our heart in earnest. Pour your heart out to him knowing that he hears you. Now sometimes it feels, it feels as if God isn't listening. Sometimes it feels as if our prayers rise no higher than the ceiling in the room we're in. But here's where our feelings can deceive us. There are some things that are true even if I don't feel that they are. And one of those is that God hears me. Friends, I encourage you today, recognize God is listening. Not only is God listening, follow along with me here in Exodus 3. God says, I'm ready to act. Hmm. I'm ready to act. Now, I have to, I have to imagine Moses giving a little bit of this action to God. Yeah, yeah, let's go, God. We're ready. It's about time. We've been asking you for a long time to do something about those Egyptians, God. Thank you that you're finally ready to act. Maybe, maybe it's time to act on the behalf of his people. And maybe Moses isn't quite ready yet for what God says next. You see, sometimes God has to get us ready for what he's going to do. Sometimes the preparation isn't elsewhere, it's in within us. I'm ready to act, God says. Now you might say, well, why did God wait so long? Huh. Yeah, I know that prayer. It's one that I think many of us have prayed. God, why would you answer this prayer now? Why, why didn't you answer it six months ago, six years ago, 60 years ago? Why not do things differently. There are questions that don't have answers. My my concern for you today is not helping you find solutions to those problems, rather it is trusting the one who authored them in the first place. If God is in charge of all things, and indeed he is, then let us rejoice that he's ready to act on our behalf. If you need a New Testament reference to this, then I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's still ready to act. Now comes the hard part. Now that God has heard you, now that he's told you he's ready to act, God says to Moses, I'm sending you. This is where it changes for Moses. Moses wants God to act, and Moses is glad God is listening, but he isn't necessarily interested in being God's instrument. He isn't necessarily interested in doing what God is sending him to do. Have you ever had that kind of moment in your life too? Well, yes, God, I want you to do that, but I don't want you to use me for it. Somebody needs to do something about it that, but God, it it, it doesn't need to be me. Perhaps we feel unqualified, unprepared. I want to take you through in chapter 3, the second half, and the first part of chapter 4, several arguments Moses used to tell God he was wrong. His arguments might sound familiar, and maybe we've used them to talk to God, too. I want you not only to see what Moses says, but I want you to hear God's response, too, because I believe this message is the one that we need most of all today as we start a new school year. We're going to come to God and say, I can't do these things, I can't do this, I can't do that, because I'm not, I'm not the right person, but maybe it is not that God chooses the right person, it's that he prepares the person who is right. Could it be that God, in his wisdom, is calling the one who is willing, calling the one who is ready, calling the one that he is prepared, even if they don't know it? You see, sometimes God has prepared us all along the way and it just takes us a little while to catch up to him. He sees it all along. He sees the end from the beginning and sees how it will look at the end, to borrow from our friends who like jigsaw puzzles, he has the picture on the box already completed. We're still fitting the pieces in. Here are some arguments that Moses uses, and maybe we do too. First, Moses says, I'm ignorant and unlearned. Who shall I say sent me, Moses says. I want you to see God's answer in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 14 of chapter 3. God's answer is not a theological one. It is a decidedly practical one. Tell them, I am who I am sent you. It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. It matters who I am. This is not about you, Moses. It is about me. This I am who I am phrase, it is one that is profoundly difficult for those of us who are students of language. It doesn't work in English. You can't say this. It's two present tense verbs joined together. It means in practical fashion, from eternity past I always have been, I am right now as I've always existed, and for eternity forward I always will be as I always have been. We as temporal beings cannot say such, but God in his eternality can. So God wants to shift Moses' attention away from himself, away from a a zero focus on Moses to the God who is sending him. Can I tell you today, my friends, that is the message of Matthew 28 as well. Go, Jesus said, and make disciples. The message that we carry to a world that is desperate to hear it is not of our own making. It is God's message and he sends us. Here's a second argument Moses offers. I'm not believable. They won't listen to me, God. Remember, I'm damaged goods. I've made mistakes. Have you ever come to God and told him things about you that you thought he didn't know? Yeah, maybe you have like I have. Well, God, I can't do what you're telling me because I've made these certain mistakes. I've done these things that I shouldn't have. I've done things that are stupid. I've said things that are stupid. I've I've been in foolish places. Can I offer you the opportunity to see what God says to Moses? God does not answer that statement. He says, what's in your hand, Moses? Now, this is not a question for information. God can see what he has. Rather, it's a question for Moses to consider what's in his hand. It's the staff that he'd used probably for decades. And it was one that he knew well. It was probably the first thing he picked up in the morning, the last thing he put down at night. It was his tool of service. It was a weapon. It was something that he knew every nook and cranny of, or thought he did. See, God's answer is, I'll send you with something to hold on to people will believe that. So what does he say? He says, "Throw that staff that you've used for so long down on the ground." Here's where we observe Moses has some good sense. He does so, and it becomes a snake. And what does Moses do? He flees the scene. Amen. Good wisdom. I have a friend of mine that was mowing his yard not long ago, and when he was mowing, he happened upon a snake in the grass he immediately started backing up with his running lawnmower and then he realized he had in his hands a running lawnmower. (laughs) And so instead of backing up, he moved forward and dared the snake to do something about it. Lots of little snake bits flew out the side. It's a wonderful way to spend the afternoon, don't you think? God sent Moses was something to hold on to well you might say I wish he had done the same for me he did it's this word right here you ever thought about how miraculous it is that the Bible exists like it like it like it does now we don't have time for this conversation this morning I spent the better part of my adult life studying how the Bible came to be as it is and let me tell you it's anything but a straight line God has delivered this word to us because he wanted us to have this. Friends, if you're wishing you had something to hold on to, I'm here to tell you you do. Now maybe you can't take a printed Bible with you. You can put it on your phone and carry it with you everywhere. It is a glorious thing to hold on to and just like Moses with his staff, this can be something that you lean on to when you are weary. Here's a third excuse that Moses offers, I, "I'm, I'm not, I'm not good with words, God. I'm slow of speech. Remember, I'm not the spokesman. My brother is." God's answer: "I made you, and I made your mouth. Go, and now fill it with my words." Now, for us that have grown up seeing Moses as Charlton Heston, this one was probably the hardest one to take. Of course you're good with words. Well, we think so, but perhaps the fourth reason is really the reason Moses made that third excuse. I'm afraid. Please send someone else. I want you to see this one because it is among the most human answers that we find anywhere in Scripture. This, Moses, the one that we know, steps forward eventually, admits his own frailty by saying, I'm afraid, please send someone else. Have you ever felt that way? I'd give anything for it to be somebody else. Perhaps it is that God is whispering something into your heart today and you're telling him, I'm afraid. If you are, understand that you are in good company. Moses himself would join you in that. Please send someone else, Moses says. Hmm. God's answer, I will. To help you, I'll send Aaron with you, your brother, the one that is good with words. I want you to see this sending them together. It was not a mistake that I started our time together a minute ago, praying over our friends that are educators and our parents. It was not a mistake that I came right behind that talking about the wedding and anniversary celebrations. It's because I believe that the church is the fullest expression of God sending us together. I believe that the church ought to be that very place where we find fellowship, kinship, and love. Could it be that God has sent us together to fulfill his purposes and his plan? I believe he has. Now you would think, after all that's happened here, you would think that Moses would have learned much. I will say, indeed, he did. But there's something that I found just a few years ago, at the end of chapter 5, that caused me to bring this whole thing to you. It caused me to say this is one that needs to be standing in our path this summer. Moses, in the end of chapter 4, steps forward. As God had told him, he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? He says, they're lazy. No, I won't let them go. Not only that, I'll turn the heat up on them. Instead of making bricks with straw that my people collect... They'll have to gather their own straw. And then ultimately, they'll have no straw at all to make bricks with. The people push back. The Israelites push back against Moses. And they complain to him. And when we find ourselves there, we find Moses' moment of regret. Maybe they didn't have time for this in the movie. But it's real just the same. Moses' moment regret. Of regret. I I want you to see this moment of raw honesty right there at the end of chapter 5. It is one that that troubles me even now, but it is one that I'm grateful the Lord included. Moses goes to God at the end of chapter 5 and says, God, what did I tell you? What will you do with these people? I don't know what to do with them. I did what you told me to do, and things have only gotten worse. You ever felt like that? Found yourself in a a problematic spot? Maybe even of your own making? I saw a story this week that made me think about this. Claude Griffin, one who was in a bad way financially, thought he had found a way to beat the security camera, racket. He went in to rob a mobile phone store while they were closed. He dressed in all black and knowing that the security camera was right over his head, he took a cardboard box that he found in a dumpster and he put it over his head. A cardboard box. He walked in, smashing the door and smashed the cases. Everything was going swimmingly as he filled the bag he'd brought until in his eagerness to gather one more set of, case, set of phones, the box fell off of his head, exposing his face and everything else about him to the camera overhead. It reminded me forevermore of the gentleman who tried to rob a store in Brownsville the day of a snowstorm. He walked from the store he robbed home. It did not take the police long to find him, nor did it take the police long to find Mr. Griffin. Regret comes, friends. Regret comes. And when it comes, it often arrives unexpectedly and always unwelcome. We start with great ambition and big dreams, and sometimes when we crash into reality, it's difficult. Sometimes we find ourselves struggling with the reality we've bitten off more than we can chew. When we find ourselves there, I want you to go back to chapter four. And I want you to see again that it was never about you in the first place. God sent you as his messenger. One of the most curious pieces of chapter five is that God does not answer Moses. Moses lays this charge at God's feet and then in chapter 6, goes right back to work. It's, a, it's as if God has already made his heart clear, and Moses just needed to get it off his chest. Is there something you need to say to God? Something you need to say to God that would release you from the burden and the anger and the bitterness that plagues you? Maybe you're mad that God didn't do it right. Maybe you're mad that God didn't do it your way. Maybe you're mad that God hasn't done it your way, that God somehow won't do it your way. What we find in chapters 6 through 14 is a maturation for our friend Moses, a growing up time where God reveals something f- refreshing. For we see in that Moses' reluctant obedience and his declaration of dependence. Moses steps up and continues to serve in spite of circumstances, in spite of harsh words, in spite of a lack of success. I know we're running long, so we'll rush ourselves along. But I don't want to rush too fast because this is the point for which we started. It's what my friend Clark read for us a little while ago. We get to chapter 13, and we arrive at the end of the 10 plagues. If you want to have some homework, then go home and read chapters 6 to 13, and you'll find that God gives Pharaoh a chance to repent and let the people go. And each time he says no, and the the plagues, the heat keeps getting turned up until finally it's the plague of the firstborn. And that's when they say, enough. Go. Leave. Leave. By the beginning of chapter 14, though, the reality of letting them go for free has awakened on the hearts of the Egyptians, and they regret their choices, so they decide they will take vengeance on the people of Israel. They will send Pharaoh's army, and so Pharaoh commands them to go, and they pursue the people down to a place that we call Succoth, right on the shores of the Red Sea. When the Egyptian army arrived, they found something they did not expect. They found the Israelite people. They knew they would be there. What they didn't expect to find was the pillar of fire standing between the army and God's people, as if God himself was fighting for them. Can I tell you today, my friends, when you feel like you have an enemy breathing down your neck, realize that it is God who is protecting you it may not feel like God is protecting you, nor did it for the people of Israel. Now they realize they are trapped, trapped between the the Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea, an uncrossable body of water in their minds. God offers some instruction, and it's what Clark read in verses 13 and 14. Let me read it one more time for you. God whispers into the heart of uh, of our friend Moses and Moses breathes it out to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God's instruction, stand still. This is my fight now. And so God does what he does. Now, that doesn't mean everybody got it. When you read chapter 14 before that, the people come to Moses and say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt you brought us here to die? We told you to leave us alone. It's better to be live slaves than dead ducks. But what they were about to learn was that God does his things his way. And that's what I want to say to you today. God does things his way in his time. Imagine for a moment that you are facing an opponent, one that is charging after you, one that is coming with fists flying, and you look behind you to find that there are those standing behind you. Mike Tyson in his prime, Conor McGregor, a famous UFC fighter, or getting even more recent, Jake Paul, gloved up and ready standing ready to take the fight on for you, how much confidence would you feel at that point? Can I tell you today, my friends, we have far better than that. The God of the universe who created all that is and all that ever will be says, I will fight for you, stand still, this is my fight now. Now maybe you've never known the peace that comes from that. Can I offer you a word of hope today? That's the reason Jesus came. If you have never invited Jesus into your life, then today is the first day of your future. Jesus came to give you this kind of hope, this kind of peace, this kind of stability. He longs for you to find it. If you've never known that, then here's what I want you to do. As soon as we stand up to sing, you start making your way down here to me. Let's talk about it. Maybe you've done that, but you've never been baptized. That's the first step of Christian obedience. Come down and let's talk about that. Perhaps you need to join this church. We'd be delighted to have you be a part of this fellowship. Come down and let's talk about that. Maybe you need to come to this altar and bring a battle that you're struggling with. It is here for you. We invite you to come to this altar and use it for your purposes. Let's pray together. Today, Lord Jesus, is your day. Not merely because it's Sunday, but because it's the day you created, that you gave us. And so today, Lord Jesus, in your mercy, we receive it. I know, Lord, there are many of us who are fighting battles. Battles that are fearsome, overwhelming. And like Moses, we feel afraid. But today, Lord Jesus, we choose to put our confidence in you. It's never been about us. It's always been about you. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who are fearful, that those who are burdened, those who are broken, those who are weary, that they would find their hope in you, just like Moses did. And that once we find it, we stay there in your presence. I pray, Father, for that very thing. And for those who need to make a decision today, give them freedom, Lord Jesus, to come down here. Do your work here in this invitation time, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.